Hello and welcome to Oric Digital's How to Make a Video Game Podcast. Here, you'll be entertained, informed and enlightened by the many goings on within the studio as we introduce you to our projects, our colleagues and give you a little insight into how we operate. Thanks for listening in. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Soundtracks, Jess. Soundtracks. Yes, yes, Matt. I believe you're an expert in this area. Well, I, I wouldn't say I'm an expert in anything, really. Um, I mean, I've produced a number of soundtracks for Oracle Digital Games and a bunch of other things. Um, am I an expert? No, I don't think so, because music is music itself is very interpretive. It's about what you take from it. Um, so we're all experts, I guess, because I can't tell you what to feel when we listen to the same thing. Um, it's all about how your brain digests that. But, um, but nonetheless, we are talking about soundtracks and audio um, today in this episode. But firstly, sorry, hello, welcome everybody to season seven of the Arc Digital How to Make a Video Game podcast. It feels ruddy good to be back behind the mic, Jess, and it feels ruddy good equally to have you part of the pod. Welcome again. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. It's, it's lovely to be here. I'm so excited for this episode, you wouldn't believe. I am a big old soundtrack nerd when it comes to any kind of soundtrack, you know, film, TV, video games. Um, but I'm very much excited to have a dig uh, into our uh, back catalogue of music. Um, and it's also good because you have a background in neuroscience. That's right, isn't it? I do, yes. I have a master's in cognitive neuroscience and brain imaging. <laughs> I love how casually you kind of just, yes, I, I have a background in this, uh, what of it? Um, but that's, I mean, I'm kind of joking about it, but that is super important because it's going to be, one, you're a soundtrack nerd, which is great. Uh, and then you have this background too in neuroscience, which is just going to give you a very different perspective and about how you kind of approach music. So there's going to be a great conversation there for us to to have. Um, we're going to split this episode into two halves, really. Um, we're going to talk about a lot of the soundtracks that we've that we've produced in the past, um, focusing mostly on one, that being Mars Horizon, because we're going to feature a few of those pieces from that from that album. Um, and then we're also going to talk about our um, as a studio, our pipeline, how we kind of go about handling audio, um, and also a little bit about my journey into audio, which I think will help lots of people who are maybe thinking of sending their CVs out and and approaching studios about any position that might be available or something. So we're going to touch on that too. Any final words, Jess, before we go to the main chunk? No, no, I don't want to listen to me. I want to listen to you. In we go. Come on, Matt. So we're talking soundtracks um, today and audio. Um, and I have to say it's very exciting, Jess, because we, on the pod previous to you joining, um, you know, we haven't really ever spoke about this kind of stuff. Um, we even we featured an entire episode on Ghostbuster stuff, which is my my second love, um, and that got its light in the sun. Uh, but not so much soundtrack in the work that we do on audio. So here we are, anyway, talking about this sort of stuff. But we're going to talk about some soundtracks, most notably um, Mars Horizon. Uh, Mars Horizon came out just over a year ago now. I can't believe Mars Horizon is over a year old. That's insane to me. I can't believe where that, where that time's gone. Um, but it's it's amassed a good little following. Um, it's been quite a successful game, um, and people seem to be enjoying it, so that's really, really cool. Uh, second to that was um, I was really thrilled to see the soundtrack be um, embraced quite a bit. Um, and I'm not ashamed in saying uh, that it was a, a Steam bestseller, which I'm really, really incredibly proud of um, on both the bestsellers chart and the trending chart for just over two weeks. So I was really pretty darn chuffed with that. Didn't see that coming at all. Um, but we're going to single out some tracks here. The, the reason I, we want, I'm going to focus on Mars Horizon a bit is because it, it sets the bar with, with where we are currently in, in terms of soundtracks, not so much in audio as a collective, um, because everything we've done up to this point hasn't necessarily been, um, you know, we don't use any middleware or anything. Well, we haven't done up to this point. Um, I think those days are certainly upon us. They are coming. Um, so it's quite a straightforward implementation in terms of how it operates and everything. It does its job very, very well. Um, and that's all we ever really needed to ask of it, really. It does something quite simply, but does it very effectively. Um, so 
when you approach a soundtrack, um, typically you'll have you know something in mind as to what you're looking to kind of um, achieve, what sort of color you're looking to paint it with, um, influences essentially, and those being for Mars Horizon. I like to play with expectations. So um, typically anyone playing a game about uh, mission control and launching missions into space and the, the, the challenges that come with all of that and the engineering and everything, they're going to be thinking Apollo 13. They're going to be thinking those kind of movies, you know, and the drama of it all. Um, that was not a soundtrack I took influence from, though. It just, it, I wanted to kind of step aside from that because Mars Horizon for me is about the people behind the scenes. It's about the mission control people. You know, the many, many men, women that are working behind the scenes, crunching numbers, crunching unbelievable numbers, which my brain just cannot comprehend. Um, not to mention, you know, when we landed, um, I say we, like I was part of the team or something, but we as a human race landed something on, a, on an asteroid, which is just insane to me. I cannot believe that. Um, but these people um, don't often get the sunlight, you know, as much as the astronauts would, you know? So the the two soundtracks in mind, one, the first one most notable being uh, Mission Control, The Unsung Heroes of Apollo by Chris Rowe. It's a really, really great soundtrack to a documentary, documentary film. And I drew a lot of inspiration from that. And as a bit of a curveball, the other one which actually took a lot, um, I listened to a lot, but just over and over and over, was Michael Kamen's Band of Brothers soundtrack. Band of Brothers was the big, like 20 or so years ago, big HBO drama series. Oh, yeah, um, back in like um, 2001. And it was, yeah. Exactly. So, the Easy Company, yeah. And it's essentially, you know, an, an expansion of like Saving Private Ryan. It has that level of production value. And in fact, Spielberg was behind it as well. I'm certainly involved. Um, so the, the reason I, I loved that soundtrack so much was because it's about the, the brotherhood. It's about the men within that squad who are just, you know, dealing with unbelievable feats of courage and putting their life on the line every single day, they pick up their rifle and put on their backpack and stuff and they set off on the next mission. And it, so it's about the brotherhood between those people. So that soundtrack and with Mission Control, Unsung Heroes, those two things combined, there was a great combination there of drama about the thing, which in this case was, of course, you know, missions into space and everything, but the focus being the people. It was about the people and the drama of things that they might feel. Um, I think now would be a good time to go to a track. This is like, this is harkening back to uh, my community radio days. Um, the three tracks that I've picked out, the, the first one being Go For Launch, which is, as, as it says, this is, this is a track that, um, it's that kind of slow-mo wide-angled shot as the astronauts are kind of approaching the the the, the shuttle that the rocket you know it's that kind of last moment before you launch um it's the it's the moment running through the, the, the countless drills are just going over and over all those things you've had to do to get there it's the moment of disappearing into the blue um staying strong despite knowing all the risks that are involved uh knowing Whilst, whilst things are well rehearsed, well, drin well drilled, there's always a chance you might not return as well. So it's just kind of being okay with that, being cool with that, um, and of course going off and, and, and hopefully seeing a mission through.
So that was Go For Launch, um, previously described by me as the sort of slow-mo, wide-angled uh, walk towards the, the rocket, that those final moments before you, before you launch. I mean, that's my kind of compositional interpretation of that. That's what I was going for. But it's absolutely not my right to tell you how you interpret that. So I'm interested to hear, like, what, what do you see? What do you hear when you, when you hear that particular piece? Well, my, my kind of my first uh, instinct when I heard this was it was this, I mean, it's, it's the overture to the soundtrack, right? It's the, it's the overarching um, envelopment to the, the epitome of Miles Horizon in many ways, because it's encompassing everything for what the game is about and all the all the moments that you touched upon prior to listening to the track of this being a track of reflection and a track of leading up to this momentous occasion where we're about to go into space and you know the the dread of not coming home the finding peace and knowing that you might not come home and i can really feel that when i listen to the track i can feel the 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 quiet sort of beginning that builds and builds and builds which i know obviously I will, I will caveat that I have no experience in music whatsoever. I don't have a degree in music or anything like that. I have no idea about composition, uh, but I can really feel the different sections of the track itself stand out to me. Uh, I particularly like what I think is the bridge, I guess, towards the end in the last like 50 seconds or so. Um, I really enjoy the, the acceptance that comes with that track. Um, I think it's my favourite one off of the Hell soundtrack. If I had to pick one, it, it would be Go For Launch. Yes, well, thank you. Um, that was a very good interpretive uh, explanation of this piece. I mean, y you're dead right. I mean, th those are all the things that are there. That's what you're kind of sort of aiming for. Um, but, but you're dead right. It's, it's, that, it's that moment, you know, you're, you're about to do something extraordinary. Not many people go into space. Uh, you know, it's it's something that I can just the, the training involved, the skill, the the engineering, the the knowledge, every, the commitment to you know to kind of going down that pathway as a career. You know, um, after having been a fighter pilot or something, you know that alone is is something incredible to me. You know, but it's all those things. There's one particular moment in that piece that um, really kind of sings home to me because there's a great crescendo towards the end. Um, there's a big, big swell of brass and everything. But there's this quieter moment at the end. I could have ended the piece there. Um, you're dead right. I think just before, about a, about a minute before the piece ends, there's a huge, huge crescendo, a huge rise. Um, but I chose not to because for me, it's like the perspective changes in that instance. So you get this huge swell and that's the launch. That is the rocket taking off. Will it make it? Will it, won't it make it? You know, is it going to make it even off the ground, you know? So you've got this huge dramatic rise, and it does. It launches. And the perspective then just stays on the ground. The rocket disappears up into the sky, and then you've got the perspective of it just being, of it flying away. And that perspective is the, the spouse, the wife, the husband, whoever's on the ground is looking at their loved one going off into space. And you've got this incredibly sweet, this slow legato moment of strings just kind of saying goodbye but it's but it's not a negative goodbye it's like you sir are doing something incredible that's amazing and i love you um you know i hope to god i'm going to see you again like that that's how if i was that person if i was saying goodbye to my better half my wife and, and she was an astronaut that's how i'd be feeling i'd just be thinking I'm utterly, utterly humbled and proud to know that person. Look what you're doing. And I hope I see you again. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's like, it, it's very difficult to kind of describe it without implementing the drama that comes with being an astronaut and mission control and space flight, engineering, all the rest of it. But it's it's a very positive piece because, you know, through even through the, the, the failed missions, you know, that, that have happened, uh, and I'm sure will continue to happen. You know, there's a huge amount of learning that takes place from that. And that's notable in this next particular piece, which we'll, we'll get to shortly. Um, before going on with, with Mars Horizon, and again, Jess, please do stop me if, um, if I'm just going on. And because, you know, Duracell battery jaw, when talking about music and stuff, I just won't be able to stop myself. Um, 
I want to allude to the other soundtracks that we've produced as well. There's been a, been a number. Um, some in particular um, are very, very good. I think I think they do their job very, very well. Others, I wish I had another stab at, if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, that's all just part of learning. Um, the next one, which actually came out before Mars Horizon would have been our soundtrack for Dark Future, Blood Red States. This is a soundtrack that um, I'm... It's, it's got a real special place for me. It's different to Mars Horizon. Mars Horizon is a very personal one. It, it represents a lot of the stuff I was feeling. It, it was written in isolation, written in, in the very first lockdown for the most part. So we were all feeling that isolation, that entrapment, and I poured a lot of that into it. So it's very personal. Um, Dark Future is not that <laughs> because it's like, it's uh, just a flat out, you know, um, oh, what is it? It's just a dirty, dirty, action soundtrack yes. with some really great fun 80s um influences in there uh when it was produced stranger things was a big deal so there's a lot of stranger things elements in there like arpeggiated um uh synths and bass lines and stuff and i loved mm. all that um but it, it has a special place because because of the aesthetic because of the visual and the game itself which is not a driving game um everyone will, will know what i want to talk about when i talk about that um, it's not a, a racing game, sorry. Um, so I'm proud of it because it is a soundtrack that was produced incredibly quickly. Um, I was still freelance at this point, so I wasn't full-time with Oracle at the time, still freelance. I only had four weeks to turn it around to to produce it, to, to mix it, to implement it. Mm. So the turnaround was super, super tight. Um, in retrospect, the mix of the soundtrack took a hit. I would love to go back at some point and do like a remix, mm. not to change it entirely, but just to clean it up. But having said that, because it is a dirty soundtrack, because the aesthetic is exactly that, post-apocalyptic and all the rest of it, um, it actually kind of added to the dirtiness of it all, yeah. the, the muddiness kind of, of, of that. Yeah. Which, it, it does kind of work. And um, I think maybe I'm just making excuses for a poor mix. I don't know, but I, I don't think I am because I think it does kind of work. But what I also love about it is that it feels like a 90s PS1 soundtrack to me, like a Command oh, and Conquer. Oh, it really or, does. It's got that kind of flair to it. And I don't know why I never intended for that. It just it feels like a mid-90s soundtrack to me. Um, we unfortunately can't feature any of those tracks in, in this particular episode, but we will um, link out to many of the things we're talking about in the show notes. Um, so that soundtrack is available on Spotify. Um, it's there to be listened to and enjoyed. And there's just some really cool kind of flat out badass tracks in it, which I'm just really, really, really kind of thrilled to have had the chance to, to put it together. It's, it plays things very straightforward. It doesn't try to overcomplicate things, although we did introduce some vertical layering to the soundtrack. So what that means is the um, as you're driving through the desert and, you know, you're combat is upon you it's it's ahead of you um it it begins very ambient there's next to no kind of intensity you can almost enjoy the scenery if you really wanted to um but as things grow in intensity so too does the music and each track for each environment was broken up into four or five layers i think four layers so you'd have a very ominous bass layer just a, an arpeggio a bass line just kind of ticking over you know uh, imposing that incoming dread upon the player something is upon you something's going to happen so it's, it's just gradually building up that tension and we would then equal the layers that we'd introduce to the level of intensity that is surrounding the player so you know if you've got one or two cars you'd have another layer so you'd have a, a little bit more percussion a bit more synth um and then of course that just grows and snowballs as the combat intensifies by the end of it where you've got i don't know you could be surrounded by five cars or something and there's like cannons there's lasers you know grenades being thrown all sorts of crazy weaponry and it's kicking off. By this point, you know, you've got a really cool, strong synth wave style kick drum and a snare so just slapping in your face. You've got synth, you've got more arpeggios, ostinatos. It's, it's just, there's a lot more color to it. And it's, um, it, it does a really good job of just making you feel like a badass, but also, you, you know, building upon the, the drama, the action, the excitement that's on screen too. So it's, there's an ebb, there's a really good ebb and flow to it that I think supports the level of intensity that's currently ongoing plus it just kind of makes you feel really cool you know when you're when you're in when you're in the mix of it like that 
in essence it's just it's just it's just cool you just feel cool listen to it you you feel like you are you know you are there in the desert in the grime in the sand you're being buffeted by by all the elements uh, coming at you um you know in this post-apocalyptic world this is interesting because you've just um, reminded me of something that I didn't make a note to mention. One of the ideas around the soundtrack was, of course, it, it's about, you know, it's a very aggressive game. You're you're blowing up cars in a whole host of crazy ways, crazy weaponry. But the but again, much like Mars Horizon, where I kind of took a bit of a curveball approach, for me, uh, Dark Future was, uh, it's nasty, it's dirty. No one really wants to live in this world, you know, what's become of the world. But the moment, it's like, it's when you're sat back. You've kind of, you're sat back in your driver's seat. You've got one hand on the steering wheel. Of course, no one can see this because we're, we're only doing the audio podcast, but Jess and I can actually see each other when we're doing this. But you're sat back, you've got one hand on the steering wheel, you've got the windows down, and it's just about being a badass, a wasteland badass. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about. And, and then, yeah, then a car pulls up alongside you, you, you turn around your laser cannon, you just fire that thing into oblivion, and it just blows the, <laughs> blows the thing up. So it's full of those moments as well. But it's about that kind of, yeah, I'm a badass. Ain't no one going to mess with me in my ride. It's that mm-hmm. sort of thing. It's almost like you're a cowboy in your steed. You know, it's that kind of air of coolness about it. So, yeah, it's it's sort of that. This one now, which is called Not Because It's Easy. Um, that is a reference to JFK's speech. Um, he did a huge speech um, when they, I think when they announced the Apollo missions. Um Forgive me if I get any of my space trivia wrong. I, I, I know some stuff, but I'm not an expert. We need Matt Bone on the on the episode for that. Hey, Matt. Um, but this this piece is about exactly what we finished off with when we were talking about go for launch. This mission didn't end well. It unfortunately, is a failure. This mission is a failure. You've gone up, um, and your fate is sealed. Ultimately, uh, you know that you're essentially going to drift in space until you fade away. You knew the risks when you were going into it, you know you'll be missed, uh, and so did your loved ones, they knew the risks too. Um, it's about acceptance, it's about accepting that you won't be going home this time. Um, the mission wasn't a complete failure though, uh, as well, like what we, we mentioned just now, much, much will be learned from this unfortunate mission end. But for you, you did your bit, but you won't be going home. That's what it's about. So it's incredibly sad really really sad um but mars horizon in essence is a very positive soundtrack and it has that it has that kind of uh that air of positivity about it despite the fact of of what it's about so i'm just gonna shut up now and we'll go to that one now
so this one um yeah it's it's pretty sad um it, almost entirely in a, in a minor key um that goes without saying but I remember playing uh, when, uh, rather, there's a great moment in the Final Fantasy VII remake when the, uh, well, I know you're a Final Fantasy fan, so yes. you might know this this moment. And forgive me if I get some of this trivia wrong, not trivia, but some of the uh, the, the stuff wrong. Is it the Sector Seven um, slum that, that, that comes down and just, you know, obliterates everyone in the Sector Seven slums? Yes. It is that, isn't it? Spoilers, by the way, well, for anyone mo- at home. <laughs> Yeah, sorry. Well, I mean, the, the game came out in '97, so it's it's well old. But those <laughs> moments do carry on into the remake. Um, but it's there's a great piece of music in that where it's about you've got Barrett, the one-armed uh, mercenary. Uh, he believes that his his daughter Marlene is has been crushed. You know, he's never going to see her again. So he's there just hammering on this this huge slab of concrete that's just fallen from the sky. And it's just about the moment. It's not about dramatizing all the stuff that's falling. It's an incredibly deep, um, solemn, um, very slow-moving piece. But it's about dealing with that acceptance that, oh, my God, look what has just happened. You know, I can't believe this. Um, and not because it's easy is, is much about that. It's, uh, it's very slow-moving. Um, I, I really worked hard to put together something that felt credible because this is this is an, an entirely digital orchestra so none of this is performed live this is all entirely uh, digital uh, using spitfire's orchestral uh, symphonic orchestral sample pack for that um, which is just incredible so i never ever 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 would have included a piece like this if i didn't feel as though i could achieve the sound the sound is really important if you don't have um, good string samples to back up a piece like this, it's just going to fall flat almost immediately because mm. certainly um, other uh, creatives will see right through it because it's just it just cheapens the sound. And also, we all know what a movie soundtrack sounds like. We all know what that big AAA sound kind of sounds and feels like. Um, if you're trying to achieve such drama and you don't have that particular tool to back it up, it will just fall really, really short and sound cheap and you just won't achieve the drama that you're intending. Mm. So this piece is all about that. And I managed to, it also does something very nice with the Mars Horizon theme, um, that kind of triumphant, da, 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 that kind of that motif. It flips that on its backside and, and it's like, it's trying to be positive. It's mm. trying to be triumphant, knowing that I'm drifting off in my capsule forever. Um, but ultimately the outcome is very, very sad. So naturally it has that, it has that mood around it. Um, but I don't know, again, I'm, I'm explaining, you know, the, the story behind that, but how did you interpret that, Jess? Uh, I think the main, the main element or essence of the track that stood out to me was the sense of loss. It was very, very poignant to me, I think. And it's, it's interesting when you talk about the motif of Mars Horizon being flipped in reverse because I think for the most part, like you said, most of the tracks are very, very positive. And even this one has elements of being positive as well because it has uh, kind of revisitations towards uh, more uplifting motifs, even though it's all in like a minor key. But I think in this instance, it's interesting to feel like it's almost like it's reassuring us as the listener, as the experiencer of the game, that it's okay to be sad. It's okay to feel that loss. It's okay that mm. we're not feeling positive in this moment. Almost it's like a reassuring pat on the back and, or, you know, or a comforting hug. It's, it's, it reminded me a lot of, especially at the very beginning, um, of a song called Reflection, which is off the Hollow Knight soundtrack composed by Christopher Larkin, which I may or may not badger on about a lot in my spare time because I really, I really love the composition of that entire soundtrack. But the the very beginning of that track as well has those those very light string touches, um, and and the whole piece is incredibly moving towards this this moment of reflection, this moment of just taking in what's happened, giving yourself space to mm. feel your emotions. And I felt very very similar when I was listening to this as well, and. Uh, it, it was a good track to listen to to get that perspective of how everyone who's left behind was feeling. I think when we're listening to this hmm. kind of music, 
I think if we were seeing this as a as a film, right, this is when we would pan over to the the crying families looking off into the stars and, you know, seeing the explosion in space and um, them sobbing into each other's arms. And then there would just be this overlay of this track over that montage. Um, mm. And and that's when we as a, as a viewer would, would be poured into that moment of reflecting over what just happened. So, yeah, I think that's my main takeaway is, is loss and reflection in space. Um, I, I'm flattered, you know, that you, you described it as like uh, Mars Horizon, the, the movie, because the, the entire soundtrack really is, it's much extended from what actually appears in the game. Um, the game itself only has, I think, five or so cues, um, tracks, and that wasn't enough for me. Um, I was like, this is a soundtrack that I know I can do well. This is like my bread and butter. This is what I need to do. Um, and I took it upon myself to just say, look, we need, when we release the soundtrack, we are not doing a cued soundtrack, just looped cues of what appears in game. It's not gonna, it's not gonna tell the full story here. So I took it upon myself, and if I did anything productive during that very first lockdown, it was write this. So I took, I essentially did exactly that. I, I took the idea of Mars Horizon the movie in the style of you know Apollo thirteen. Like I just took all the pointers from that from that film. And just kind of implemented Mars Horizon into it, and thought, right, where where are the 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 core cues of this particular movie, Mars Horizon, the movie? That's when you've got Go for Launch, and you've got Vostok One, and you've got all these other other tracks. There's even a great track of the marrying between science and humanity. There's a great piece called Nuptial on the soundtrack, which is about that. It's about the engineering coming together with humanity. Those two things, that marriage for me is is an incredible thing. Um, Another soundtrack that um, that we've produced in the past, which actually, in retrospect, became real motivation to do Mars Horizon well. Uh, that soundtrack was Acton Cthulhu Tactics. Um, that came out, I think, 2017. Um, and I had just started playing XCOM 2 at the time. And Acton Cthulhu is a very similar, our take on that is a very similar kind of XCOM sort of game. Tactical, you know, turn-based um, strategy game. Uh, it's a really, really fun game, really, really good. But the soundtrack for me always, um, I, I didn't get it right. If I went back to do it now, it would be very, very different. Not necessarily stylistically. I think I got a lot right in terms of how it sounds, but compositionally and how that works in-game doesn't work, unfortunately. Mm. Um, it's pretty drab. It's overdramatic. It fights for the same space as the gameplay. Um, and these are all rules that I know now not to break. Mm. Um, back then I just wanted, I was so desperate to do my, my medal of honor, my, um, my saving private Ryan soundtrack. Um, but in the, the, the setting of, of the, um, Lovecraft mythos and whatnot. So I was excited to do that, but I made a mistake of, of putting too much me in there as opposed to what the game needs. And that is something that's entirely different now that the way we, we approach audio is about what does the game need. It's not about what you want to do. Yes, there will be things that you think are going to work well and you want to stylistically um, go about something. But there, there's an element of your ego that you have to leave at the door because it's not about you. It's about supporting the game. It's about mm. supporting the player. So it's about doing something that, that, that feels right and doesn't fight for the space of the things that are going on on screen. That's where I think Mars Horizon works really, really well um, because it allows for the game to breathe. It doesn't fight for that space. It's a very passive, it, it lays down a very good bed of music. The mission control segments of the game are good examples of that, where the, the loops are just very, in terms of mechanics, uh, how they're implemented, very, very standard loops, but they were quite mm. long. They're like six minutes long. It's almost unheard of to have a loop that long in a game. But it's a thinking section of the game you're performing uh, a puzzle, essentially, and you're thinking long and hard about the sequence of things that you need to do to pull that particular phase of the mission off. So you need to give the player time to think. <laughs> because yeah. if you're just being hit in the face with just music, 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 it's like, mm -hmm. no, that's fighting for the same space. And unfortunately, um, Agton Cthulhu, uh, it did do that. It was just a bit too much. Stylistically, good. Um, but in terms of its... its conception how it's actually composed uh not one of my favorites unfortunately but we're going to go to the last of the mars horizon tracks now this is a track called re-entry and it's about exactly that so this is uh, again a, a, a piece that really does sum up 
the soundtrack. It's about the re-entry to the atmosphere. Not only have you managed to get into space and all the drama that goes with that, you've performed the mission, you've performed your job well, and you're going home. But are you going home? Because that is still an incredibly delicate sequence of events to get you back on Earth's surface. So it's that kind of will they, won't they moment. Um, there's so much hard work, so much engineering, so much risk, but this is the drama of re-entering the atmosphere, hoping to feel triumph once more and eventually returning safely and back into the arms of your loved one. So this is arguably, maybe only, yeah, maybe the only piece on, on the Mars Horizon soundtrack that um, is a bit more upbeat. And it needed to be, you know, it's you're re-entering the Earth's atmosphere and it's all about the drama of doing that. Will they, won't they make it? Breaking through the actual atmosphere and, and back, in, back into the skyline, you know, it's, it's all about that. Um, but how, what, what was your take on that, Jess? My my take of it was that it felt to me like a toned down boss fight. It felt like this was the the moment, the pinnacle of of the 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 battle. Um, you know, it's reached its crescendo in terms of the journey because you are just about to come home, but there's just that last little bit left to do before you're then home safe and in you know your loved one's arms. You're back at home with your family, so. But it didn't feel oppressive. It didn't feel overwhelming. But it, you're right in that it has that more upbeat feeling to it. It has that intensity to it and that speed and that tempo. And mm. I think when the percussion comes in as well, it kind of brings it back into the realm of a space agency. It brings it into a realm of celebration because I think when the percussion comes in, it's like calling you to attention. It's like saying, oi, right? listen to us now uh we have something to say and it's and it's like that moment of congratulations like you've done it um or you're, or you're doing it and and then when i think when the track lilts off at the end and it and it goes off gently with 
piano playing it out. Um, I like that as well. I like that as a closure. It feels like that moment of closure. Essentially, the soundtrack kind of flows in a sequence as if you were going to space and then back home from space. So it just kind of follows that trajectory that you would imagine it to be. Um, but that's that's really cool uh, for you to say because, um, yeah, the intensity was the main thing. Um, it, it's quite a slow-ish intensity, but it's there. Uh, very, It's far more percussive than any of the other pieces. Um, it feels heavy. It feels weighty, especially, you know, if you're listening back on, on good speakers or good headphones, it has that low end. I have a sub when I mix, so it's like, it has all of that that weight to it, um, but you're also dead right. I was really, really pleased with the the coda that 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 was featured at the end of uh, "Go for Launch," and I really liked that. And I was thinking, hold on, I can do that again, and that and it won't feel like rehashing an idea because you have the we had the perspective change of when you're looking up at your loved one going off into space, but now it's like they've broken, they finally triumphantly broken through Earth's atmosphere. And the capsule is now floating back down to the ocean, you know, to, to Earth's surface. So it's about that. It's about that slow-moving um, breath. You've made it, you know. Yes, there's still a big old splash in the water to come, but, like, you've made it. You've, you've done all the things, um, and you are gently getting that kind of reprieve, that, that, that opportunity to take a breath before being reunited with your, with your loved ones again. So yeah, it was it was all about that, um, and the Mars Horizon soundtrack is something that I'll forever look back at and think, yeah, I'm I'm so happy with that. I'm so happy that um, that I was given the freedom just to kind of do what I felt was needed to be done. Because like as you'll know, you know, working in games, there's a huge collaborative effort. There has to be a huge collaborative effort. We all work in teams, and we all we all have a voice, and there's that collective voice that we all kind of dance to. Um, but in retrospect, thinking back to this one, I wasn't ever really told, oh, it needs to be like this, it needs to be like this or anything. I was just kind of given the freedom just to kind of do it. And if that, if I never, ever get that opportunity again, that's fine. Because at least I had it on the project where I was best, I was really best suited to produce something that I knew I could do and, and do it and have decently. So for me, I can only, I can only really talk from my own experience as we all can. Um, but, but that's, I can only kind of really explain how I got into game audio, um, and, and how it's all kind of transpired for me. Uh, from my experience, I, I'm, I was able to build, uh, quite a lasting connection with Oric Digital through sharing, um, a similar work ethic and, and principles. And I'd been following them, um, for a bit and I'd, I'd, I'd had con- already made a connection with Thomas, which I'll get to shortly. Um, so I'd been aware of them that, and they were much smaller back in like 2012, 2013 or something, much, much smaller. Um, but I've, I really believed in their projects. I've really believed in what Thomas was trying to achieve at that point. Um, I liked the guy and I was like, I, this guy's cool. I'm just going to try and keep it, keep in touch with this guy. Um, we actually met though, when, um, one of the very first things I did out of university was, uh, I got involved with community radio. Um, you know, I was full of ideas, wanted to just start doing stuff after moving back to Bristol. And I was like, okay, cool. I, I think I can be of use to someone uh, with this. We had done, we had produced our own game jam as well. One Christmas, I think it was 2011, we jokingly said after one of the um, one of the shows, oh, we should do a game jam. And at that point, I wasn't even really sure what a game jam was. I didn't really know what it was. Um, and then uh, we did our own game jam. And of that came um, Hamster the game Hamster, which I'm sure you've heard of. It was a huge, huge success. Oh, absolutely. Hamster has been uh, central to my gaming experience. <laughs> it was not not a big success. It was incredibly broken. But of course, it was made in just, you know, 48-hour period. We featured that on the following week. Um, and I, I can't quite remember how Tom had got involved, but he had he was looking to set something up. He was of Red Wasp Design at the time. This is pre-Oric Digital. Um, and he actually got in touch with us, I believe, and said, you know, um, can we feature on your show and we'll talk about a thing and we'll talk about how we got started. And I was like, oh, wow, I've just met a game developer. I didn't know where these people even, you know, where they where were these people? Were they just in the ground somewhere? Where do they come from? One of from? them popped up. And, yeah, where do they come from? But one of them popped up and, uh, and got involved with the show. So we then had Thomas... 
um, and a colleague of his play Hamster live on the show, which we will will feature in the show notes because it's very funny. You can't see anything, but you can hear everything that's going on. Um, and that's how I met Thomas. So that's like that was ten years ago now, and and we we managed to stay in touch. And and so I'm very very grateful that Thomas kept giving me opportunities at that moment in my career where. I was able to just work on stuff. That's what I was looking for, was just looking to work on things and build somewhat of a portfolio. Mm. Um, so on to the next point, my personal journey, I, I graduated into a recession. This is like 2009, 2010. So the recession was really kind of, you know, looking pretty spiky at, the, at that point. Uh, there were no jobs, no no games, lo- uh, no jobs certainly locally in games. Um, and the jobs that were available were being snapped up by professionals who had far more experience, far more credits than I ever could have had at that point because they were unfortunately being being laid off. Mm. Um, so it was an incredibly tough time. Um, any industry was feeling feeling that pinch, and uh, no more so um, than than everybody really. Um, so just to give you a very quick lowdown of like my trajectory into games. So my first my first job was working in a pre owned games retailer. I then became a, an estate agent. I then worked in a, as a house manager in a, in a music auditorium. I then became a pensions administrator. Then I was a piano sales and showroom manager. And then I was made redundant from that job in 2016. So in like five years, that was the tra- trajectory that I was like, no, I'm going to continue on this path because I want to work in games. End of. So I just kept plugging away, kept going. And um, eventually made redundant. At that point, I then went freelance. I was like, I'm, I can't just keep doing other jobs because they were becoming, you know, more relatable to music. That's what my degree is in. They were becoming more relatable to that, but I just had to take a jump at some point. And it was at that point, 2016, um, Christmas, 2016, no doubt, um, where we were told that we're being made redundant in January. I was like, great, happy Christmas. So then just kind of went with it in the next year. Um, and, Started working on some short films, doing some of the podcast stuff, uh, doing a lot of location sound, boom operating and stuff. So it was all kind of audio focused. Um, but I was able to kind of pick up some game audio, some video game gigs along the way, most notably coming from Oroc, which had, of course, established itself uh, quite a bit more by this point. Um, so I never actually, I never actually went down the CV route. Um, mm. And many studios will will receive many, many CVs, you know, um, it's what people do to, to pitch for work. Obviously it's, it's required and your resume needs to be, needs to be really, really hot. needs to be very, very good, very, very sharp. But I never went down that route. My route was much more a building of a relationship, um, a trust and a work ethic. And something came good of that after a lot of drama and a lot of hard work over close to 10 years mm-hmm. before I've joined Oroch full time. So it was a long period, and I do not wish that on anyone that it takes them a decade to get into game audio. Um, these days, there are far more opportunities to get into game audio. Um, that also, of course, means there's a lot more competition too. I mean, only in Bristol, uh, I'm not too sure where they have other institutes, but we have DBS Music, which does a game sound degree now, where, of course, that's it's part awesome. of the curriculum you'll that's- learn about. It is That's awesome. Really cool. If that was around in 20, what, when did I go to uni? Like 2005, six. If that was around then, oh my gosh, <laughs> what a completely different story it could be. Um, but it wasn't, and that's fine. I'm cool with that. That was my story. Um, but, uh, you know, these things are around, and you can learn about Unity, Unreal Engine, Middleware, FMOD, WISE, all these things you can learn as part of your curriculum. For me, I've had to do that just alongside doing other things to survive, essentially. So yeah, so I went down the freelance route um, and that's where things started to snowball a bit more because I'd given myself that chance. Um, freelancing is hard. Yes. Freelancing is hard work. You never, ever really get the opportunity to turn off. You're always looking for work. Mm. Um, you know, there's, there's of course a saying like, you know, you have the freedom to say no to some stuff. You can select the work that you do as a freelancer. I didn't ever have that experience and I don't know many freelancers that have ever said, no, I don't want to do that. Most freelancers I know just just chomp at anything that comes their way because it's like you ju- you're terrified of mm. not landing the next gig. Yeah. So you're constantly just saying yes, making it work, finding the time to, to do this stuff, which ultimately results in you working stupid hours well mm-hmm. into the evening, sometimes the early morning, um, and you can really burn yourself out. I've done that at least twice good, you know, really burnt myself out and questioned whether or not it was right for me. Mm. Um, 
So freelancing is hard work. But if you go down that route, you know, you need to be focused. You've got to be professional. You need to really take that that pathway seriously. Otherwise, it will bite you on the backside. And it can be quite unhealthy yes. um, as well, especially, you know, if you if you have dependents, you have mortgage, bills, all these kind of things, this can weigh on your shoulders. And you need to really think about whether that is right for you because ultimately it's a lifestyle choice as well. It's not just... Mm. Um, a pathway in your career is a lifestyle choice because it impacts the people that you love. Um, but the CV route, you know, we as a studio, I know we receive lots. Um, I know lots of other studios that do too. Um, CVs are, of course, required. They're super important. We, we've touched on that. Um, but ultimately, this wasn't my story, but if, if a studio is, always check out their job openings, go onto the website, get in touch with them just to see if they have any openings first. Mm. Um you know, if you kind of blindly send a CV, yes, it, it might, there's a, there's a slim chance it might get, you know, put in a folder of backlog CVs or something. Um, there's a chance of that, but you can't rely on that. No. Um, if you are going to take that approach, you've got to send a lot of CVs to expand that web as big as possible in hope that one of them sticks. Um, so, you know, there, there's a lot of legwork involved with, with doing that. But ultimately, if you look at it from the other perspective, if you're the person whose inbox that lands in, they're probably going to be getting a lot, a lot of CVs. Mm. And if you don't have, if you don't necessarily have a, a game audio opening um, or any opening really, producers, everybody in, in, in the games industry is incredibly busy. It's a very fast paced industry, very fast paced. So if you get a CV uh, in your inbox um, and it's, not of a requirement for you to look for a CV. You're just kind of, kind of put it to one side and it'll probably get forgotten about. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I, I don't feel particularly good even saying that, but ultimately that is, that, that is a thing that can happen. Mm. Um, so look to see if there's an opening first. That already is setting you ahead of other people because if they say yes, boom, you're already one foot in the door because you, someone's just said to you, yes, there's an opening mm. and you already have a dialogue with them now before you've even said, yeah, okay, let's, let's talk about that. So you have to kind of think much more um, outside of a box to kind of make a, a, a better, more meaningful connection with, with a studio. Um, but attention to detail is a big thing. Um, this helps support the many decisions that you'll be making when on a project. So, you know, if you can show that to, to a studio, that's going to do you the world of good. So like on your CV, for example, if it just says, I mix audio, that is way too general, way what, too What broad. does that mean? What, um, what, what do you mix? Exactly, exactly. And, it, and if, if you're forcing someone to ask a question of which they're not going to get an immediate answer, they're just going to go to the next one. So you need to be more detailed. You need to say, I used a certain technique on a certain soundtrack or a certain sound asset, uh, why I chose that technique, um, how it elevated the mix how it elevated the performance or behavior of that particular asset. So detail doesn't have to be long, but it can be detailed. And that just shows a lot more kind of um, more a more penetrative kind of way of thinking. Um, I've got a link here for a great Twitter thread that was posted not too long ago. Um, and we'll again share that in the in the show notes because it has so much detail and it has some really handy no-nos of what not to do as well. Mm. It's a really, really good thread. Um, Game audio is a more involved department. So if you're only composing, that's awesome. I'm a composer by trade first, uh, but not anymore because composition is actually one of the things I do the least amount of now. Um, Ultimately, you need to be, you need to show more value. You need to understand how the entire process works of creating sounds, not just music, but sound design, how that is implemented. If and when you get around to using middleware, so we've mentioned F modern wise, things like this, um, if you can utilize those tools as well, that's going to set you above a lot of other people too. And for the most part, though, just being willing and showing a real desire to want to learn new things. Because again, game audio, uh, game development is incredibly fast paced. It's constantly evolving. There's always new tech, new tools. So if you have that willingness and drive to want to learn stuff, I want to work with those people. I'm sure you do. I know that we as a studio love just bantering around the studio talking about the latest thing. Um, so it, you know, you're, you're kind of, you're showing a real desire to kind of expand, expand your knowledge base and your skill set. So, you know, those things can, can be really valuable. Uh, another great, um, resource is a chap called Akash Thakar. Um, he's doing a lot 
in terms of giving back to the industry right now. Um, he's a very good sound designer, very good composer. I think he worked uh, as part of the development team on um, on uh, Destiny, I want to say. Um, and Hyperlight Drift, I think, is the name of another game. Uh, really nice dude. Um, he's very active on Instagram. Check him out. We'll link to him in the show notes too. Um, but he's giving a lot in terms of tips, advice, and you know, little tidbits and, and things like that. Really, really useful. And again, this is just going to add to your ability, if you're looking to break into game audio, it's going to add to your ability to penetrate that force field that it feels like sometimes mm. you're going to be able to make a connection and have a bit more of a forward thinking approach if you follow some of that advice yeah um, i think we really can't underestimate the the importance of social media and the role that plays in getting into any industry nowadays i think as much as it's social media is in, in and of itself a, a monster that's very uncontrollable it's also it's how people make connections nowadays. It's how, especially now that we're moving into a more digital and remote world as well, it's how people will connect. It's how people will meet. So don't be afraid to drop follows, drop comments, like posts of anyone that it is that you're interested in following, interested in following the works of, um, because you never know when an opportunity for a connection may come up. People often post on their social media, hey, we're looking for this job role. If anyone's interested, send us a CV. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. You're dead right. I mean, there's so much activity, so much traffic on social media, of course. Um, it's, it's, it's a beast. Um, and to get yourself heard is really difficult. But the more you interact, the more your chances go up, mm. ultimately. Um, and people, you know, uh, people that you're looking to make connects with, they are out there. They are human beings. They're not just like a faceless corporation for the most part. Um, you know, they are there checking their smartphones. Um, so you have every chance as much as anybody else of making a connection with somebody, um, whether that's a studio or someone who works at a studio or something, there's always a chance. You just need to do whatever you can to expand and, and build upon those chances. So just a very quick bit on, on the pipeline, how we kind of handle audio at the minute. Um, one of the best things, one of the most important things for any audio designer is working directly in engine. Um, this is, is is an expectation really it's a requirement you have to be able to work in engine you don't need to be an absolute guru of ue4 or anything but but again having that that willingness to want to learn having that willingness to get your hands dirty in there and be part of the development team mm. as opposed to just the person that produces audio assets you are part of the team and you are not this separate commodity so that's really important to kind of change the framework because you mentioned earlier that audio is um it's quite quite often been something, and it's, this we're guilty of this as a studio as well. It's something that kind of gets tacked on towards the end of production. Of course, all the things happen: the art, the code, design, everything, and then it's like, oh yeah, we need some sounds, mm. we need some music. Mm. How long have we got left in production? I don't know, five weeks. All right, okay, and that's when it, you know, you then put stuff together. I mentioned Dark Future was put together very very quickly. It was incredibly tight, really really tight. Yeah, I would never force anyone. Um, that kind of experience to put it together in, in that amount of time. So yeah, working in engine is just super important. Um, having that willingness, willingness to learn. Um, we don't tend to overcomplicate the process, uh, an awful lot. Um, we are, we're still a developing studio. It feels like we, we, we've, we've been lucky enough to expand quite a bit in the last 12 months, which is super exciting. Um, of course the acquisition, um, by Sumo as well as, 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 you know, it's been super exciting to be part of that too. Um, but we, you know, we like to keep it simple, keep it kind of, you know, contained because we're all creatives and we naturally, our brains want to kind of do the best possible thing anyway. Mm. So if you can kind of contain things from the start, naturally that overcomplication and that drive to want to do something cool will come. But if you start off complicating stuff, it's only then going to get more and more complicated and, and has the potential of maybe unraveling. Mm. That's the, certainly the way that I approach audio is just keep it super, super simple. Yeah, I think that's something I really experience in biz dev as well is it's always better to keep things simple and to then at the next stage of the process, at the next step of production, go, okay, but now we need to level up. We need to take it to this next level of complication because we need to develop the idea further. So it's, it's interesting that there are parallels there as well. So at this point as well, we haven't used an awful lot in terms of middleware because again, we've we've been able to achieve um, what we've designed in engine. So F modern wise haven't seen uh, much of a workflow with us. I'm sure those days are are or will be upon us um, in the future, in the near future, um, because that is going to give us a huge amount of scope to do more creative things from an audio point of view. 
But um, ultimately, they're not worth the investment um, if the game or the concept doesn't require it. If you can achieve what you want to achieve in engine, then why, you know, invest that time and that money in a license like that, which then involves, you know, a new process. It means implementing a new system or systems um, via another tool. Again, you're kind of setting yourself up to maybe maybe overcomplicate things when you potentially maybe didn't need to do that. So that's something we will look at in the future. But at the minute, we don't tend to don't tend to use an awful lot of that because we can build dynamic stuff, dynamic systems in engine. And um, we have a lot of weekly roundups. Um, certainly from the audio point of view, we have weekly feedback roundups. Of course, we have our dailies every day where we're kind of talking about what we do and what's on the on the in the pipeline for that day and that week that coming week. But then once a week, I'll meet up with the lead designer. Uh, we'll talk about where things are at, um, what we're looking to achieve with certain sounds, um, and then we'll do a first iteration of, of a sound pass. That'll then go through a feedback loop until it's, you know, it's starting to sound like the way we want it to sound. And that will go on and on until we know that we've achieved it. Um, not every sound is as straightforward. You need to understand the how a mechanic works, the the the, the flow of an animation, and you know, whether the design, the aesthetic of the art to best get the to get the better behavior out of that particular audio asset. So you have to kind of understand those things whilst putting things together. Again, expanding your knowledge base is only going to help you there. Taking more of a handle of audio assets as well. This is the last point. I know I've been talking for a long, long time. Clearly, I've taken advantage of the the one episode to talk about audio and soundtracks. Um, but one simple thing, and, and the reason I've left this to the end is because it'll seem, it'll seem like maybe a, a dead ringer, maybe a no-brainer, or it'll seem like, really, that's an important point? Absolutely is this an important point. And it's making sure that you take a handle. One person has the job of taking a handle over an audio asset list, making sure that there is consistency between the names of the files and the names going into the engine. That can lead to some very sticky situations where like, you're trying to test something, and all that's happened is maybe something's missing an underscore. You know, So I copy and paste everything. I do not type. I very rarely type into a game engine. The audio asset list will have everything noted. We could be talking hundreds of assets, if not more. Um, they will be typed in and they're cross-referenced and checked with everything else that's going on, making sure that the there's an in, a loop, and an out of a particular thing, that the performance is there of that asset or the sequence of assets. And then I will copy and paste all of those file names into the engine because I know it's bulletproof by doing that. Um, and also because it goes through me, if there's any um, inconsistencies or discrepancies, it comes back to me and I'm the best person, best placed to know exactly what is not happening or where the discrepancy actually is. So managing the asset list is is super crucial. That's something we take deadly seriously. Uh, we color coordinate it. We make it fun because ultimately it's a spreadsheet. Um, but it's, you know, it's so, so important. And again, it's about keeping it simple because if you don't, there's all the potential to to unravel a bit further down the line, and you just don't need that in game development, and certainly not game audio. I'm going to stop talking. Jess, you finished the episode. You say something wow. profound I say and insightful profound. to end the episode. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you for sharing your, your passion, your creativity, your prowess, your love. I think that uh, this has been not only an insightful and and fun episode for me to be part of but i think it will be for our listeners as well because whoever gets to just sit and chat about music in the fast-paced realm of the games industry the best way to keep up to date with everything happening at oroch digital is to follow us on social media you can find us on twitter instagram facebook using the handle at oroch digital and we're on linkedin too as oroch-digital-limited we also encourage you to sign up to our mailing list to receive regular newsletters that go into more detail about our projects and to join our community Discord, who are the first to hear our updates. You can subscribe to the mailing list and join the Discord on our website, orocdigital.com. And whilst you're on the website, be sure to check out our recruitment page under orocdigital.com forward slash jobs, where we post all employment opportunities. Links to all these socials and more are in the episode description. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you in the next one. Bye.